0: Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Wayne Ruffin. And I pray all is well with everyone tonight. And your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion. For all your brothers and sisters in spirit. And we all have every reason in the world to be full of those higher qualities for ourselves and others, regardless of circumstances and appearances. For the breath of life is within us all, the spirit of the living God, our mighty I Am presence. Of course, there are a myriad of reasons for being loved to ourselves and others, and they need not be listed. And some will attempt to justify reasons not to be. But the fact that the spirit of the one living God dwells within us all and is our life stream is all the reason we need. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved.
1: The Abraxas deity, his titles, nature and form already having been discussed, it remains now to give a sketch of his great apostle and his doctrines. To begin with the earliest notice of them, Clemens Alexandrinus lived in the same city, and in the same century, with Basilides, the reputed founder of the Abraxas religion. During some years of that period they were contemporaries, and it is more than probable that Clemens was personally acquainted with Basilides. he being a very remarkable personage of his times. On this account Clemens' testimony to the character of the Basilidan doctrine deserves infinitely more reliance than the statements of the later fathers, whilst at the same time he passes a more judicious, and also a more favorable judgment upon its nature. He describes the system as consisting in a constant attention to the soul and intercourse with a deity considered as the fountain of universal love. In his own words, the Basilidan doctrine consists of two parts, the first part busies itself with divine things and considers what is the first cause through which all, and without which nothing is made, of what constitution are the things that pervade, or include, each other, the forces which exist in nature, and unto what they tend. The other part relates to things human, as to what is man, what things be consistent or inconsistent with his nature, what he has to do and to suffer. In this department Basilides includes virtue and vice, what is good, what is evil, and what is indifferent. In short, we are here reminded of a description of a Buddhist missionary. The amiable but fanciful Clemens, whose own Christianity was no more than a graft upon the congenial stock of his original Platonism, could see very little to blame in the transcendental speculations of Basilides. In his eyes the latter was not a heretic, that is, an innovator upon the accepted doctrines of the Catholic Church, But only a theosophic speculator who sought to express old truths by new formula, and perhaps to combine the same with a new faith, the divine authority of which he was able to admit without renouncing his own creed, precisely as is the case with the learned Hindus of our own day. But far different is the picture of Basilides, as drawn by the pen of bigoted orthodoxy in the two next centuries, after his doctrines had been taken up and carried out to monstrous precision by the swarms of semi-Christian sects that sprung up in the very bosom of the Church. These notices are subjoined in chronological order for they give in a few words the grand features of the perfected system. Hippolytus has left an excellent analysis of the Basilidan doctrine, well deserving of careful study, although it is hard to see how it bears out the assertion at the opening, that this heretic took his entire system ready-made from Aristotle, with his genus, species and individual, but pretended to have received the same from St. Matthew, who had communicated to him the esoteric doctrines which he alone had received from christ when on earth the philosophic bishop however is mild in censure nay seems rather captivated by the ingenuity of the alexandrian mystic but tertullian with no sense of the beauty of a clever piece of sophistry launches out like a true african barrister after this Basilides the heretic broke loose He asserted that there was a supreme God named Abraxas, by whom was created mind whom the Greeks call new. From mind proceeded the word, from the word, providence, from providence, virtue and wisdom, from these two again, virtues, principalities and powers were made, from these infinite productions and emissions of angels. By these angels, the 365 heavens were created. Amongst the lowest angels, indeed, and those who made this world, he sets last of all the God of the Jews, whom he denies to be God, affirming that he is one of the angels. The Basilidan doctrine of emanation was greatly refined upon by Valentinus, whose muster role of the celestial hierarchy shall be given in its proper place. Suffice it here to observe that the entire theory resembles the Brahminical, for in that the Agni each manifestation of the one supreme being, regarded by the vulgar as a separate self-existing deity, has a female partner the exact counterpart of himself, through whom, as through an instrument, He exerts his power, to express which doctrine this other half is styled as Durga, active virtue. This last name, Virtue, actually figures in all the Gnostic lists of emanations, and the great Aeon, Pistis Sophia, in her second confession perpetually upgrades herself for having quitted her male partner, in her proper habitation, to go in quest of the supernal light, while she equally reproaches him for not descending into chaos to her aid. The system of dualism, in fact, pervades the whole of that wondrous revelation. Brahminical inspiration is possible in many other points of the doctrine of Basilides, as will appear by the following extracts from Irenaeus, being converted to Christianity he attempted, like many others, to combine his new faith with his old, for the explanation of things both spiritual and natural. To do this he invented a terminology and symbolism of his own. In the promulgation of his peculiar notions concerning God and the divine attributes, the word, the creation, the emanation of spirits and worlds, the architect of the universe, and the multifarious forces of nature, he took the same road with his contemporary Saturninus in Syria. His system was a combination of Christian, Jewish, Persian, and Egyptian notions, but the entire coin position was molded by the spirit of the Oriental Gnosis. The doctrines he thus disseminated, his contemporary Irenaeus represents in the following manner, Basilides, in order to invent something more refined and plausible in the Gnostic speculative philosophy pushed his investigations even into the infinite. He asserted that God, the uncreated Eternal Father, first brought forth Newer mind, and mind, the Logos, word, this in turn, phronesis, intelligence, whence came forth Sophia, wisdom, and dynamis, strength. Irenaeus understands Basilides as making a Quinturnian of beings or personal intelligences external to the Godhead, but Bellarmine with more reason takes them as signifying personified attributes of the supreme forms of his working internally and externally. According to this explanation Basilides would only have borrowed his system from the Kabbalah, it is however equally likely that he drew the whole from a much more distant source, and that his untreated and Quinturnian stand in truth for the first Buddha and the successive five. When the uncreated Eternal Father beheld the corruption of mankind, he sent his firstborn, New, into the world in the form of Christ, for the redeeming of all that believe in him out of the power of those who fabricated the world, namely, the Demiurgus and his six sons, the planetary Genii. New appeared amongst men as the man Jesus, and wrought miracles. This Christ did not die in person, but Simon the Cyrenian, to whom he lent his bodily form, suffered in his stead, inasmuch as the divine power, the new of the Eternal Father, is not corporeal, and therefore cannot die. Whoso, therefore, maintains that Christ has died is still the bondman of the ignorance, but whoso denies the same, he is a freeman, and hath understood the purpose of the Father. The Gnostics and Their Remains, by Charles William King, 1887 Basilides, the pious, godlike, theosophic philosopher as Clemens of Alexandria thought him, Tertullian exclaims, after this, Basilides, the heretic, broke loose. He asserted that there is a supreme God, by name Abraxas, by whom mind was created, whom the Greeks call new. From her emanated the word, from the word, providence, from providence, virtue and wisdom, from these two again, virtues principalities and powers were made, thence infinite productions and emissions of angels. Among the lowest angels, indeed and those that made this world, he sets last of all the God of the Jews, whom he denies to be God himself, affirming that he is but one of the angels. It would be equally useless to refer to the direct apostles of Christ and show them as holding in their controversies that Jesus never made any difference between his Father and the Lord God of Moses. For the Clementine homilies, in which occur the greatest argumentations upon the subject, as shown in the disputations alleged to have taken place between Peter and Simon the Magician, are now also proved to have been falsely attributed to Clement the Roman. This work, written by an Ebionite, as the author of supernatural religion declares in common with some other commentators, must have been written either far later than the Pauline period, generally assigned to it, or the dispute about the identity of Jehovah with God, the Father of Jesus, have been distorted by later interpolations. This disputation is in its very essence antagonistic to the early doctrines of the Ebionites. The latter, as demonstrated by Epiphanius and Theodoret, were the direct followers of the Nazarene sect, the Sabians, the disciples of John. He says, unequivocally, that the Ebionites believed in the eons, emanations, that the Nazarenes were their instructors, and that each imparted to the other out of his own wickedness. Therefore, holding the same beliefs as the Nazarenes did, an Ebionite would not have given even so much chance to the doctrine supported by Peter in the homilies. The old Nazarenes, as well as the later ones, whose views are embodied in the Codex Nazareus, never called Jehovah otherwise than Adonai, Ierbo, the god of the abortive, the Orthodox Jews. They kept their beliefs and religious tenets so secret that even Epiphanius, writing as early as the end of the 4th century, confesses his ignorance as to their real doctrine. Dropping the name of Jesus, says the Bishop of Salamis, they neither call themselves Ascians, nor continue to hold the name of the Jews, nor name themselves Christians, but Nazarenes, the resurrection of the dead is confessed by them, but concerning Christ, I cannot say whether they think him a mere man, or as the truth is, confess that he was born through the Holy Pneuma from the Virgin. H. P. Blavatsky While Simon Magus argues in the homilies from the standpoint of every Gnostic, Nazarenes and Ebionites included, Peter, as a true apostle of circumcision, holds to the old law and as a matter of course, seeks to blend his belief in the divinity of Christ with his old faith in the Lord God and ex-protector of the chosen people. As the author of Supernatural Religion shows, the epitome, a blending of the other two, probably intended to purge them from heretical doctrine, and together with a great majority of critics, assigns to the homilies, a date not earlier than the end of the 3rd century, we may well infer that they must differ widely with their original, if there ever was one. Simon the Magician proves throughout the whole work that the Demiurgus, the architect of the world, is not the highest deity and he bases his assertions upon the words of Jesus himself, who states repeatedly that no man knew the Father. Peter is made in the homilies to repudiate, with a great show of indignation, the assertion that the patriarchs were not deemed worthy to know the Father, to which Simon objects again by quoting the words of Jesus, who thanks the Lord of heaven and earth that what was concealed from the wise he has revealed to babes, proving very logically that according to these very words the patriarchs could not have known the Father. Then Peter argues, in his turn, that the expression, what is concealed from the wise, etc., referred to the concealed mysteries of the creation. This argumentation of Peter, therefore, had it even emanated from the apostle himself, instead of being a religious romance, as the author of supernatural religion calls it, would prove nothing whatever in favor of the identity of the God of the Jews, with the Father of Jesus. At best it would only demonstrate that Peter had remained from first to last an apostle of circumcision, a Jew faithful to his old law, and a defender of the Old Testament. This conversation proves, moreover, the weakness of the cause he defends, for we see in the apostle a man who, although in most intimate relations with Jesus, can furnish us nothing in the way of direct proof that he ever thought of teaching that the all-wise and all-good paternity he preached was the morose and revengeful thunderer of Mount Sinai. But what the homilies do prove, is again our assertion that there was a secret doctrine preached by Jesus to the few who were deemed worthy to become its recipients and custodians. And Peter said, We remember that our Lord and Teacher, as commanding, said to us, Guard the mysteries for me, and the sons of my house. Wherefore also he explained to his disciples, privately, the mysteries of the kingdoms of the heavens. H. P. Blavatsky of
0: I Am Discourses, Volume 16
1: Sometimes it's quite amusing to see mankind's human creation try so hard to deny our existence, and yet all the time knowing that we are masters over manifestation that interferes with the destructive forces, when the momentum reaches a certain point. I hope you will have the same joy that we do in awakening people's consciousness to the reality of the angelic host. There is a knowledge within life, there's a feeling, there is an absolute awareness, an absolute certainty within life everywhere of the existence of the angelic host. But the human creation and the intellect, filled with a discord of human feeling that continually tries to refute the truth of our reality, is soon coming to the point where the manifestations of the sacred fire will not only reveal our presence, but will reveal the consuming of the human creation. So, there is much education coming to the consciousness of the human beings in this world as the time approaches when the human creation must, by cosmic law and cosmic command, cease existence. You can have tremendous assistance from the angelic host in your homes, your business, your associations with people of the outer world, with anything and everything you do in this world, because the ascended masters are master authority over all in this world, and they are the angels, or they are something. The sacred fire is master over all manifestation. And the angelic hosts of the sacred fire who have never yet embodied, I assure you, are masters of the sacred fire. I'm offering you an association tonight for eternity with the master presence of the angelic hosts sacred fire purity of immortal love that never did and never can and never will create anything but perfection, sustain it, expand it, and forever blaze the joy of the great central sun's perfection of eternity. So, when you accept our sacred fire presence with you in daily association, you will open the door and let us do for you many things that none others can do, because none others but the Ascended Masters are the authority for its manifestation in this world. Beloved Archangel Michael, When you call the legions of the angelic host who are the music angels to come into the physical octave of earth, enfold you in their sacred fire presence, and enable you to do that which their music can do through you, and will do to purify and help perfect this world, you will just begin to know what joy is. You have never yet touched the fragment of the happiness that life contains when the angelic host's music of the spheres releases the I am perfection of all of God's manifestation into this world, into individuals, into the universe around you, and into everybody and everything wherever you abide. If you care to charge your world with the angelic host's sacred fire presence that always supplies whatever you require from day to day or age to age, you will have some delightful experiences. And as you maintain purity and harmony and obedience to your beloved, I am presence and the ascended host, there will be no lack of any good thing in you or your world. For I assure you, wherever the angelic host enfold you in their sacred fire presence, that sacred fire presence contains everything you could ever use. No matter what you want to create in outer existence to fulfill the great divine plan, to bless the rest of life, to expand your own life streams, complete mastery, and to take you forward in the victory of the ascension. Therefore, The angelic host, their association is imperative if you are to attain the ascension. Therefore, the angelic host must be given recognition if the ascension is to be attained. And there never was an ascension attained in this world that there was not one or more of the angelic host in attendance to help the life stream rise into the oneness with a higher mental body until the completion of the ascension took place. So, the angelic host constantly render their tremendous service to life. Beloved Archangel Michael,